0: a break come on referee turn around holster had on a giant pin one two three he had him from behind andre now but maybe lady luck riding on his shoulders here tonight one headbutt a second headbutt andre spins a holster around suplex right on top of him he's on him one. we get two that's it but he got him, he got him. We've got a new world champion! No, we don't either! I told it, McMahon! I told you! I told the world that the Giant would win it! No, sir! That can't be! I don't ever want to hear you doubt me again, McMahon! Never, ever again! Dave Hebner, the referee, is outside! He has the championship belt, I believe, in his hands! looking down at him he can't believe it he's saying it was only two he's, he can't be giving the title to Andre he can't be Hebner counted three in wrestling you don't go by instant replays this ain't football it's the referee's decision it. I can't believe what a stupid mistake that was I was just huh. I can't hey. believe that the guy's only human McMahon he's no. just a referee he can't be. he's going to present it he presents it to Andre. raises his hand. We have a new world champion. Ladies and gentlemen...
1: friends are nerdy and you are nerdy too. I want to talk to you. Friends talking
2: Nerdy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jousman and with me I've got... Professor Aubrey. Welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Um, Kim the Geek uh, was planning on being here with us this week, but life happens unfortunately um she uh as we mentioned on previous episodes um you know she's going through a lot at the moment so um you know when she needs a break she needs a break and uh we move on from there and um you know the show is called friends plural talking nerdy so welcome back happy
1: to be a friend of the show
2: Yeah. um before we get into the show proper we do got a couple of uh deaths in celebrity land we're gonna talk about real quick Brian Dennehy passed away.
1: Mm-hmm, that's true. Yep.
2: Yeah, um, noted. Um, he's done a lot of character work. I mean, he's probably probably most known for uh, First Blood, uh, the first Rainbow movie. But, you know, he's done a lot of stuff. I mean, if you need, like, a big, powerful... If you needed a powerful, like, law enforcement type of figure, you're going to have Brian Dennehy in mind. You know, mm-hmm. great actor. Um, another uh, person that passed away was Howard Finkel. You're like, who the hell is that? <laughs> you know, um, He was the longtime ring announcer for the WWE. So, um, you know, throughout my entire childhood, all of the um, moments that, uh, you know, seared their way into my brain. Like um, Andre the Giant screwing Hulk Hogan out of the championship. Oh no, do we have <laughs> to talk
1: about that again?
2: I'm still bitter um but you know it. his voice um you know the, it, it, he, he's legendary i mean and how he would you know the winner of the match and new no, world wrestling federation champion you know just just one of those great voices one of those great people and apparently behind the scenes he was a really nice guy too so
1: it's amazing how much sports announcers really get associated by fans with the with the team that they're announcing or the whatever it is that they're announcing. And it's, it's kind of hard to get used to somebody else doing it when when your longtime announcer passes away. I've been through that a couple of times with, with t- things that I watch.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I'm growing up in Michigan, um, I uh, would listen to Ernie Harwell, his last few years uh, broadcasting um, Detroit Tigers baseball. And for a while, the Tigers actually fired him. Mm. And um, they brought in um, this pair that um, that worked for the Seattle Mariners and then went back to the Seattle Mariners, but they were not welcomed in Detroit at all. Everybody hated them, and it got so bad that they had to bring back Ernie Harwell. Um, and I'm sure it was the same for, like, the Dodgers with Vince Scully. Just, yeah, I mean, you, you associate all these good memories with those voices that that can tell the story, and his was kind of like that. Yeah. So... Going from nostalgic happy memories to angry, pissed-off, (laughs) fuck-everybody news. Um, The WWE, my God, they... Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, wow is a good way to respond to the WWE right now, for sure.
2: Yeah. um... And
1: this definitely transcends wrestling fans, because it's so obviously wrong. So let's tell the people what happened.
2: Yes. A couple things, really. Uh, First of all, another episode of Dark Side of the Ring hit, and uh, they talked about the um, the Jimmy Snuka and Nancy Argentino murder case and in the episode um, they talked about a passage from Jimmy's book and they reenacted it and um, they actually have um, paper, government paperwork verifying that the event actually happened without notes detailing what was talked about um, they talked about how Vince McMahon and Jimmy Snuka went into a meeting with Allentown, Pennsylvania police officials about the Jimmy about what Jimmy Snuka did to his girlfriend Nancy Argentino. Walked in with a briefcase, walked out without no briefcase, and the murder a uh, uh, charges that potentially that that should have been charged against Jimmy Snuka magically went away.
1: And we know they should have been brought against him because they were, he was indicted by a grand jury many years later, and those charges were brought against him when he was so old he was unfit to stand trial.
2: Yeah, the um, and that's why we got the greatest legal mind that I know in the show. <laughs> um, the, the thing, too, is that uh, the, the, the grand jury, I guess, was able to see the autopsy report that did not see the light of day in 1983, where the person performing the autopsy said this clearly is a homicide and, and should be treated as such. But because WWE at the time um, did a majority of their tapings in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and which... Jimmy Snooker being one of their top stars if he was arrested for murder business would go down and that would hurt the economy um, which leads us to our next horrific thing that the WWE has done lately um, word came out um, at the beginning of uh, this week as we're recording that um, the WWE was declared an essential business by Florida's governor
1: yeah essential definitely what what do you think was on the Governor's mind when the Governor made that determination?
2: uh what was on his mind was how fast he could cash the eighteen million dollar check that Linda McMahon, who is a part of a super PAC supporting our wonderful president's reelection bid, how fast he could cash that check and um yeah, there's. I stand by my comments uh, that we discussed on uh, episode 99 um, in talking about Wrestlemania that you know, having entertainment available um, as a distraction in these times is important I have no problem with that but um, the essential ruling that they uh, gave um, gave WWE permission to uh, film their shows live again which you know I, I, I could grit my teeth and look the other way with it with a taped with a taped performance because with taped, you can stagger that throughout the day. You don't have to have everybody congregated in one building, and it's it would be a lot easier to kind of mitigate any sort of potential, um, you know, coronavirus uh, contamination. But with live, everybody has to be there, and uh, that's just just evil. But the mo- well,
1: and it's just it's hard to figure out. Why, if you could do pre-taped content, how the live content is so different that the live content is essential when there was pre-taped content available?
2: Well, um, there's been speculation that, for the WWE at least, uh, their contracts with uh, Universal and um, Fox for SmackDown and Raw, respectively, state that they can only have a certain amount of taped material. Um, that, that they can oh. perform, and they would lose a lot, of, you know, they would lose a lot of money. The Fox deal is a five year deal that uh guaranteed them, um, with the TV rights, two billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll go into that a little bit more when we, we talk about the next horrific thing that WWE did. But they had, um, yeah, I mean, that that's money that they. And I get that. I mean, as a business, you do want to do what you can to make sure your income sources are still coming in. But when you have a worldwide pandemic, you would think...
1: Things change. and There should be more flexibility around um, erring on the side of uh, protecting human health.
2: Yeah, that and, you know, if if we're... talking taped uh, performance uh, episodes of Ron Smackdown you know the USA Network and Fox are still getting new content what is the difference because there's no audience that are not traveling around so what is going to honestly be the difference between having the taped and live performance there is no difference whatsoever I mean the only honest difference would be if somebody made a mistake in the ring if it's live they're not going to be able to you know say cut let's do that again Uh, type of deal but there's just no under the current circumstances no logical reason to do that but let's talk about the most horrific thing that they've done because the day after they um, bribed the governor of Florida to be declared an essential business they fired a bunch of people Mm. And uh, we're talking over 20 people. Some of their backstage producers were furloughed, um, meaning that, you know, they're not being paid by the company. But once things pick up again, they're going to come back to their jobs. But the performers themselves that were fired, they're independent contractors. So when they're let go, they're let go. And there's a possibility at some point in the future they could come back. But... Over twenty people, with word coming out that it, it could be a lot more. There, there's uh, speculation that they could be looking at up to over a hundred people. Oh wow! Being fired at this point, it's just unconscionable because they. If we're talking about the money situation, I, I was listening to uh, Dave Meltzer on. Uh, um, Wrestling Observer Radio Dave Meltzer is the preeminent uh, wrestling reporter out there Um, You know, he essentially created the genre of wrestling reporting and um, you know, he was breaking down the numbers Um, the WWE Is not in debt they have over 500 million dollars in cash reserves and with everything going on with uh, their lack of touring and not having an audience sure they're seeing a dip in money but they're still able to sell their merchandise via their website and have it shipped to people's homes they're still providing that new content to uh the tv stations to you know get that money coming in they did not financially have to do this there was no reason for them whatsoever to do this at all Um, you have other companies out there like Ring of Honor Ring of Honor is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting and I'm sure you're aware of the reputation Sinclair has when it comes to their conservative owners and how they try to force their local stations to um, uh, you know lie essentially Sinclair Broadcasting made sure that Ring of Honor is not touring they're not creating new content but they're still paying all the performers and office people everybody with that company they're still getting a paycheck. Hmm. How can Sinclair Broadcasting be morally superior to the WWE in this instance? I mean, it, it, uh, you know, it would be a different story again if we you know, we're talking like a couple months down the road, they did not have 500 million in cash reserves. They, you know, were in severe debt at that point. Yeah, it would suck, but that's that's an economic reality you know i mean businesses close all the time but we're not talking about a restaurant here i mean restaurants you know i mean we saw one yesterday that you know closed down that uh, you know hopefully they'll open back up but you know they're they operate on very thin margins and you know it's understandable when they have to close down but there's just there was no reason for them to do this other than to make sure that their profit margins stay the same or go up to impress their stockholders they were only looking out for their own bottom line mm-hmm. and that that I'm done i mean that's just that's just excuse me evil at this point i you know i i get as a business owner you do have to worry about your business but especially in these times, especially when you have the reserves available to be able to weather the storm, Uh, you know, you're going to come out looking a lot better and you're going to have customers willing to spend a lot more money to help you out. If you are taking care of your employees and not pulling the, like the hobby lobby thing, you know, my wife had a vision from God, (laughs) you know, what do you think?
1: Well, I think all these things are really terrible that the WWE has been involved with over the last couple of weeks, um, not counting the murder charge one, which was about, what, 10 years ago? Uh,
2: 1983. Um, oh, the, that's the, when it happened with the brief... Yeah, that's the initial trial. The, right. um, the, the, the What you were referring to was uh, when the 30th anniversary. Uh, there was an article that came out, and that got enough public interest to open the grand jury inquiry, and then they brought it to court. That was about 2013, 2014. Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know there are lots all bets are off in terms of trying to understand the economic climate right now, but it definitely feels like um number one the the eighteen point five million or eighteen million that is being spent in Florida now by the super PAC is obviously supportive of the governor's political uh desires mm-hmm. and um so it's hard not to draw a parallel between that and the decision to make the WWE an essential business.
2: Essentially when the head of that super PAC is Linda McMahon, who is financially, financially entangled with the WWE's performance. You know, if the WWE does well, she benefits. So it was a bribe, plain and simple. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah,
1: so right. that's problematic. Um, and, and, and then the layoffs or the canceling of contracts i mean if they were independent contractors uh whose contracts were up who the wwe then chose not to renew their con- like i'm not quite sure what happened you well
2: it's that's another thing too because um for the longest time people have been clamoring for professional wrestling to have a union because WWE, um, and there's actually, and we can watch it later, but there's um, John Oliver actually talked about it um, on last week tonight and um, talked about the fact that um, uh, how WWE is able to save a lot of money with taxes by labeling their in-ring performers as independent contractors. However, the independent contractor... Status that they have, the performers, the performers, you would think if they're independent and not employees, they should be able to go wrestle other places too if they're not, you know, scheduled to appear for WWE on a certain date. Nope. Um, and these performers that were let go the other day, um, you would think if they were let go, then they would be able to show up on another TV show and wrestle there. Nope.
1: Uh, they've got some kind of non compete Nin- clause. N-
2: 90 day non compete clause. As an independent contractor, the independent contractor status is absolutely ridiculous, um, because they are—I mean, the the performers in the ring are employees. The, the you know the, the WWE just does not want to pay social security tax or pay for health benefits. You know, um, the for the longest time, like I mentioned, like in uh, before WrestleMania two or three, I believe, Jesse Ventura uh, talked to uh, the performers in the WWF and tried to get them to unionize. Um, and ultimately, it didn't happen because Hulk Hogan snitched them out. And um, just for too long in that industry, uh, the performers have it beaten over their head that, you know, union will never happen. And um, just the 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 like WW tries to get the uh, appearance of being one big happy family when obviously they're not when they do stuff like this and it's just they need a union they needed a union yesterday they needed a union 20 years ago they need a union because they are employees if the if the if the wwe superstars decided they're not going to perform what is vince mcmahon gonna wrestle every match by himself in the ring no i mean they make his money yet he hasn't he has it made essentially as a business person because he gets the he gets to be able to get the most money out of them with paying as little back to them as possible, and that is another thing that's just absolutely ridiculous. I agree. Yeah, so absolutely. Just this, um, they have a Saudi Arabia deal that they've had for the past couple years now. The, the government of Saudi Arabia hired them to perform two shows a year in Saudi Arabia um you know on the one hand the good thing is that you know i i have no problem with you know entertainment going around the world and performing making people happy and there have been some positives that have happened with the saudi arabia show like women being able to actually perform in the ring Mm. um which you know for that culture is a really big uh thing but are being paid by the government. Um, the government that brutally slaughtered a reporter that was saying bad things about them. And when you're hired by the government, similar to when the Olympics were in China a few years back, mm-hmm. you know, the announcers are all, Saudi Arabia is the greatest place in the world. <sighs> I'm done with WWE. I'm just I'm not done as a wrestling fan. Um, there are plenty of other options out there. Um, you know, it would be like you know, refusing to wear an adhesive bandage again because Johnson & Johnson, the owners of the Band-Aid trademark, um, you know, did something horrific. You know, you're gonna g- just go to a different brand if you don't want to use Johnson & Johnson anymore. And that's the same here. I don't think wrestling in and of itself is bad. Um, it has a unique history. Um, we've been watching Definitely. Lot, We've been watching a lot of uh, documentaries uh, like Beyond the Mat and The Dark Side of the Ring, which is a really good show. Um, and, and to me, uh, wrestling is, you know, like comic books and jazz, an art form that is uniquely American.
1: Mm.
2: You know? But you, I, I can no longer in good conscience support a company that is, that is just so disrespectful to the people that are making them their money. You know?
1: So that's a pretty big deal for you, right? Because some of your favorite performers are WWE performers.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, which, not the end of the world because you got uh, you know, like YouTube, for instance, has um, non WWE channels will have uh, you know, will have um, you know, WWE content, old old perf- old stuff like the Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan the main event match that we watched on YouTube was mm-hmm. not a WWE uh, provided thing. There's plenty of good stuff out there. I know there's one YouTuber by the name of Paul Fraser um does these great videos where he will take like a month he will take like it's december 1989 and he has like all the tapes of all the shows that wwe had then except for the pay-per-views and he will take like little snippets and it's like a greatest hits of what happened during that month and really well done um so and again you got aew all elite wrestling you got impact wrestling you got ring of honor there's plenty of content out there And plenty of ways to support uh, these performers without giving money to the McMahon family you know Uh, you know it's it's uh, if you know if fans continue to pay that company money with the way they are currently running things you are supporting somebody that just does not care for their workers you know and if uh, the performers are not going to unionize then I should not be continuing to support that type of atmosphere with my money. I'm just one person. I think the WWE is going to be more, is more than likely going to go on and, you know, survive just fine without me. But there are times to where people have to stand up and say enough is enough. And I've reached my point.
1: Well, I agree with you. And I think that's great that you're making a stand.
2: You have to. I mean, you have to. I mean, if... if Especially in a time like this. Because, again, a business being a business, there are times to where cutbacks need to be made. I get that. But when all the evidence shows that these cutbacks mainly what they hid in 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 their their public relations statement that they put out about this what they hid one little thing that they hid in there in like deep in the, in the paragraph was the fact that they're not moving their headquarters to a new place in Connecticut as well and they just they, just just a lot of financial chicanery going on. Um, apparently, they're you know with these talent cuts, they're only going to save about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Really? Yeah. So not much at all. Mm. So, but let's talk about something brighter, something better, something more fun. I introduced you to the Orville.
1: You absolutely did introduce me to the Orville. I'm very happy about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: People don't know that Orville is a. Um, A sci-fi comedy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: on. uh, We watched it on Hulu. Uh,
2: Its home now is on Hulu. uh, The first two seasons, when it debuted, was on uh, Fox.
1: Oh right, Fox. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's. I've only seen the first few episodes, but I really, really am adoring it, and um, I think everybody should watch it.
2: What has struck out with you? What? What? What made you like it as much as you did?
1: Uh, I really like the characters. Uh, I and I really like the storylines um, particularly the one about um, the technologically there's a technologically superior race or a species
2: The Kalon Isaac
1: the Kalon yep. and um, they have a zoo that is full of all of the lesser
2: Oh no 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 oh, okay the, the no Isaac was the robot on the ship but it, he was still technically I, I know what you're talking about the the zoo episode
1: the zoo episode yeah so isaac actually is the only one on the ship who can talk to the 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 other people because he's the only one that's on the same technological level Mm -hmm. um so it was just a a kind of a great gotcha moment when you realize that these two main characters from the ship humans from earth got um, kidnapped and put into a zoo in their natural (laughs) habitat and are being observed uh, and it just, you know, raises those questions like good sci-fi does about like, oh, you know, that, what would that be like? Um, and, and helps you to have compassion for, and a compassion and a, a maybe critique of some things we do as human beings that when put in a different context, help us to see maybe what's wrong with our behavior,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: I think sci-fi is great for that. Um, but then it's always got, <clears throat> it's got, um just funny moments and the characters are funny and so it's, it's a really good um entertaining show
2: it is i know um I, I won't go i'll give a general summary of the episode i don't from what it sounds like you haven't reached that episode yet but um there's a character on the show Bordas. um he's a mocklin. um his his race uh is only a single gendered male race but they have an episode um later in season one where him and his mate have a, a child and that child is a girl Mm. And um, apparently that rarely happens for that race. So there's a big court battle about whether there should be a sex change for the child or not. And that was a really fascinating episode. Really, really uh, great. Um, One of my favorites from season one uh, was an episode that Charlize Theron guest starred on called Priya um she and the the whole premise is that she is uh essentially an antique stealer from the future who traveled back in time to steal the orville ship to bring back into the future um and it just it was a great show about relationship that episode was about relationships more than anything because the whole premise of the show is the captain and the first mate used to be married um the first mate um uh commander grayson she uh, uh cheated on him with a retepsian that's played by rob low <laughs> um, um but the whole premise is that you know when they uh, meet up on the ship it's about the repairing of their relationship and they become friends uh, which is really good i love the cast um adrian palicki especially as commander grayson she I- i'm surprised she has not done something bigger i mean because everything i've seen her in i mean she was in agents of shield as mockingbird um she was in the first john wick movie um she's in this uh great movie called i believe it was called what women want um she's just a great actress i'm surprised she hasn't uh, done some uh, bigger stuff uh, the doctor played by penny johnson gerald love her mm-hmm. um she was on my favorite show 24
1: oh
2: um she played uh sherry palmer uh the the ex-wife of, um, the president, uh, David Palmer. And, uh, she just, she, on 24, she had a great way of being super nice and then turning super evil. Um, just absolutely great. Um, she was also in, uh, Deep Space Nine.
1: Oh, Some I thought she familiar.
2: Yeah. Um, and that's another thing about uh, um, the Orville too. Um, one of the producers, Brandon Braga, was one of the produce was one of the big um, figures on the Star Trek and its run. I mean, he. I believe, started off with The Next Generation, but he did work with Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. Um, Jonathan Frakes directed a couple of episodes. Really? Yeah, he directed the Priya episode, and I knew he directed it because, of course, there had to be some jazz playing at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But season two just got got better because, um, as we were discussing, uh, the first season is kind of... They do rely a little more heavily on uh, the jokes... Which is not bad, but I did feel that they did kind of force them in, if that makes sense. You know, um, except for one gag that I'm not going to ruin it, but you'll know it when I see it. Um, it involves Boris um, and Celine Dion. Um, <laughs> but the, but season two, the jokes are a lot more natural. Um, by that I mean just... Um, the, they feel like the type of humor that would occur amongst um, co-workers on a ship and and I, I like that I'm really looking forward to season 3 season 3 should be hopefully um, with everything going on coming out soon uh, it'll be exclusively on Hulu now um, which is going to allow them to explore some other stuff maybe have sprinkle in uh, some extra swear words that um, they excuse me weren't able to <laughs> I had carrots before I came here <laughs> um it, <laughs> don't know why the audience needs to know that, but um, <laughs> maybe they'll be able to sprinkle in some swear words. I know they've already talked about that each episode is now going to go longer than the st- standard 40, 42 minutes you'll get for a network episode. So probably in a 50, 55 minute range. So they'll be able to explore a little bit more, but I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, it will be great to have the third the third season.
2: The third, fourth, fifth. I mean,
1: yeah, let's keep it going.
2: Keep it going. Um, but I know Seth Green also, Seth Green, not Seth Green, Seth McFarland, <laughs> Wrong Seth. Um, got, uh, recently signed, uh, first run production deal with, uh, NBC. Um, so, you know, I, I think the, the, the Orville is his last, uh, thing with Fox. So, um, you know, who knows how long that show will be there, but it's, it's Seth MacFarlane's version of Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, it's, it's just that classic sci-fi, each episode is its own contained episode type of deal. It's not serialized storytelling, so you really can drop in on any episode and you'll be caught up. You know, and and that's you know one thing I really love about it. So,
1: yeah, super fun show to watch.
2: Definitely watch it. Now, think now talking about things to watch. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been uh, having a little feature about our top five favorite movies from particular eras. We started off from the top five uh, favorite movies from the year we were born. Then we went to the year we were 10, 20. Now we're going to discuss our top five favorite movies from the year we were thirty.
1: Which for me was 2004.
2: Okay. What me? was it for you? 2006. Oh, okay. Yep. And uh, yeah, we'll go through it, give our thoughts about it. Um, if we've you know actually seen the movie or, or had interest in seeing it, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Aubrey, start us off. Are we going to alternate? I think it would be best, so that, be best if we alternate. Okay.
1: Um, so, I guess I would start off with Garden State. Um, Garden State, have you seen it? No. No. Um, it's a really great love story slash story about what happens when you have moved away from home and you have to go back and sort of confront your, uh, your past as well as where you come from. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a amazing soundtrack, absolutely great soundtrack. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It stars Zach Braff, who I think also wrote it and directed. Yeah. And Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman is the other person who was in it. And then his, Zach's sort of friend from back home uh, is Peter Sarsgaard. And I love all the Sarsgaards. So. Um,
2: yeah, I think he was in um, this great little movie that Hayden Christensen did. Um, Hayden Christensen uh, played Anakin Skywalker in a prequel trilogy and everybody just sh- ripped his performance to shreds, but he's a good actor um, He did a movie called shattered glass um, that was a, 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 a Story about um, something that really happened. There was a writer by the name of Stephen glass that uh, created um, stories out of thin air and uh, the movie kind of details his uh of his uh that journey of mm-hmm. how his editors discovered that mm-hmm. and just it's it's some of the most brilliant acting i've seen and um he peter Skarsgard, um plays his editor and uh hayden christensen just makes you want to pull your hair out you're screaming like come on you liar <laughs> tell <laughs> the damn truth but great movie
1: nice Um, well, Peter Sarsgaard plays the, the, you know, friend from back home that you haven't seen in a long time, who you go back and he's still working at the gas station, you know, 10 years later. And, um, I I think he's just great at playing those kind of characters who are just a little bit skeevy, um, which (laughs) this character is just a little bit skeevy. Um, anyway, quirky little love story, really great soundtrack. Um, I definitely recommend it as a good movie.
2: All right. My tro- my first choice, was Rocky Balboa, two thousand six. Um, the subtitle should be "Or how Sylvester Stallone got his groove back." <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's it's one of the most brilliant bookends of a of a film series I've ever seen. Um, it details uh, it's a story about how Rocky is able to get his life back together after Adrian passed away. Um, you know, when he, he wanted to end the series on Rocky five, but felt he didn't execute it as, as good as he could have. So, uh, when he, uh, was able to get this together, um, he was able to, in my opinion, Work with nostalgia as brilliantly as I've ever seen anybody do, because it really is a callback to all the previous films, but it's telling its own unique story. And just by the end, you know, tears are going off your face. He, um th- th- the whole premise is that like there's on um, Sports Center this computer. Um, this computer uh, uh, computerized computer animated fight between uh, him and uh, a new boxer and um, Apparently Rocky won that and so the new boxer got upset and so challenged Rocky to an exhibition fight Um, and then they had the fight at the end um, and it just uh, I I Can't say enough about this film Um, even even the the traditional Rocky montage scene, you know just how it led up to that because um, he brought in, um, you know, his old trainers uh, ended up becoming, uh, were uh, Apollo Creed's old old trainers and just the old guy, you know, let's start making some hurting bombs. And then the Bill Conti dented, you know, the, the classic music hits and just, it's, it's a great nostalgia kick if you love the Rocky movies. I loved it.
1: Nice. I'm not a huge fan of Rocky. I like the first one.
2: If you like the first one, you're going to like this. Oh. You don't need to watch any of the other ones. It it, 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 honestly, if, if, the, if Rocky, the first Rocky and Rocky Balboa were the only two to exist, it, you know, pe- you know, the world would be a better place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. All right. What's your next movie? Uh, my next movie is Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. So did you see that one? Nope. So it's kind of a sci-fi, um, romantic drama. And in it, Jim Carrey is in a relationship with um, Kate Blanchett. Is that right?
2: No, Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet.
1: That's who it was. Yeah. Kate Winslet. Um, and they break up. The couple breaks up, and the um, Kate Winslet's character finds a doctor who can perform a, some. Exercises on the brain to erase all the memories of your former lover, and so then you are just free of any thought of that person that you just ended your relationship with. Mm-hmm. And Jim Carrey finds out, and he does the same thing, and then so they both get their memories erased. Erased, and um, I hate—I don't know how we feel about spoilers, but ultimately they—they the <laughs> um—they end up getting back together. Um, because they inherently are attracted to each other, right? Right. They just um, d- didn't get along in relationship. So
2: <laughs> I've never had that happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You've never had what happen? Not get along in relationship, or
2: no, the mind wiping thing. I would have taken advantage of that a few times. But oh, I'm... would you? Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, you think you would, but then how does that change then your perception of reality? What if that meant that you would then get back together with that person and get to relive that same experience over again?
2: True. And I I was being sarcastic there because even the worst relationships that I've had, um, you know, led me to where I am today. And um, yeah. Right.
1: Without those experiences, you sort of stay stuck in the same place.
2: Yeah. I I would be back in Grand Rapids. (laughs) Who wants to be there? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Not me. Um. So it's just basically another quirky, quirky love story. Um. I enjoyed it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: My next choice, cinema classic, Snakes on a Plane.
1: Oh my god! I can't <laughs> believe that was one of your favorite movies.
2: I, I put it this way: it, you know, I yes, it's it's a bad movie. It's a B movie. It's it's schlock. It's just silly. It's stupid. But the fact that they embraced that and just they made love to that and and just brought us just the most silliest stupidest most wonderful thing ever um the the marketing alone was great because i remember like they had commercials for the movie and then like you could call they had like a phone number you could call and then like when you called that number it would be they would like ask you what your name was and recording you know say your name and then um what would happen? Like a couple minutes later, you get a pre-recorded call from Samuel L. Jackson. You know, come see the motherfucking movie. Oh my god, that's <laughs> and, funny. Yeah, just stuff like that. Um, just I, me. I fall for movies where you, whether you know, people consider them good or bad, where you know everybody behind it just had the just had passion for putting out the best thing they could. And and no, this is not Citizen Kane. This is not Gone with the Wind. But. It, I, I just love the fact that everybody just thought fuck it we're gonna have some fun with this and they did
1: well as a genre, you know as a genre film <laughs> i'm sure it's amusing <laughs> okay my next choice
2: oh you should see the look on her face right now it's just like she ate something bad <laughs> 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 Go ahead.
1: My next choice is um, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which is a, a Wes Anderson film, and pretty typically Wes Anderson in its uh, look and feel and music. And those things I really appreciate about that movie. I think it's a beautiful movie. And um, the, some of the, the characters and actors had so much potential. I think it does fall down a little bit on... Um, sort of the character and the story. It has a very forgettable story. Like, I can't even really remember what the story was, but I do remember very specifically what some of the scenes looked like. Right. Um, And I think that's probably the deal with that movie, is that um, it's just just very classic Wes Anderson, except the
2: storytelling is just really not that good. (laughs) Um, I haven't seen that one. Um,
1: It's the kind of movie that should be playing in the background on, like, a sheet um, from a projector at like somebody's really cool house party but with like music playing so you're not actually like a watching wine and it. Cheese just... affair? No not like a wine and cheese affair. Like okay.
2: something fancier Tim. No 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 no
1: <laughs> something less fancy Tim. Okay. Like not wine and cheese, just kind of beer and and whatever people brought to put on the barbecue kind of kind Four of Loco
2: and hot dogs. Yeah yeah Woo-hoo!
1: <laughs> or I... as um <laughs> Like, what As the Nature Boy did. would say, Woo! <laughs>
2: <No>. woo! <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, I haven't seen that. Um, I think the only Wes Anderson film I've, I've seen is Rushmore.
1: Rushmore was great.
2: Yeah. Um, I, it's like we were discussing when you told me that. Um, I, if I see it, I'm sure I'm probably going to enjoy it. Um, but he, his films, for me, just have like a certain aesthetic that just... Doesn't really interest me.
1: Yeah, I like the aesthetic. That's yeah, what I so like it, it's
2: movie. so I, I want to be clear for any Wes Anderson fans that may hear this. I'm not knocking the movie, and if I see it, I will give it a chance, and I may end up enjoying it because he he generally works with with uh, really good actors. Um, but um, it just nothing about it just made me think like I gotta see this. Uh, even Bill Murray. Even Bill Murray. Mm. Um, yeah, because Bill Murray. Is usually hit or miss, <laughs> um, uh, you know. In his later career, um, you know, I loved him in *Zombieland*. He was great there.
1: Did you see him in *Lost in Translation*?
2: No, you would think I would, because Scarlett Johansson was in it. Yeah,
1: what's your problem?
2: I, 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 I'm sorry, Scarlett. Uh, <laughs> um, but that wasn't creepy at all, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen that, but um, I'm sure I will one day. Yeah. Um. All right. My next choice, another cinema classic, Crank.
1: Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen that, Tim. I know that that may be hard to believe, but.
2: (laughs) You haven't seen a movie about a contract killer that's injected with a poison that once the adrenaline in his body loosens and his heart gets slower, he will be killed? Oh, my gosh. No, um,
1: it's, it's interesting that I, so far I have seen none of your movies and you have seen none of mine.
2: <laughs> so, far. so far. So far. So far. There will be at least one. But uh, uh, Crank, just no character development, the story shit. <laughs> um, I'll admit that. But just for this type of movie, for just a mindless action movie, it's great. I mean, it's just like, it's just. Wow, it's just, it's, everything I want in a movie is in that movie. It's just silly, over-the-top, melodramatic. Um, you know, like the the Chinatown scene where he's having sex with his girlfriend in public, and he's like, I'm alive! I'm alive! <laughs> and the crowd is cheering him on. <laughs> um, Dwight Yoakam is his doctor in the movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, just, just, they have some unique uh, casting, um, just this movie shouldn't work but it does (laughs) so
1: interesting I might watch it to see Dwight Yoakam he was really great in Sling Blade
2: yeah um good singer as well Mm -hmm. um I forgot to mention it when we reviewed Jomo and the Possum Posse but um Jomo sounds a lot like Dwight Yoakam
1: I agree I think Jomo's got a little bit of Dwight Yoakam thing going on in some of those songs
2: yeah not as twangy but still similar but what's your next movie
1: my next movie is um, the quirkiest of quirks, uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I haven't seen it. So um, it's a very funny movie. And I, I think what I love most about it is that it introduced me to Ligers, which is half lion, half tiger. And they're actually bred for their skills in magic. Okay. And uh, that's a big part of the movie and actually gave the name to my kickball team, the Ligers. So it was a proud Liger. Um, but... Yeah, so. for life. <laughs> life is for life, yo. <laughs> um, it's just a funny movie. It's a funny, quirky, wacky movie. I think you would actually like it.
2: Yeah, and, and this probably is going to be the, the the same type of movie as as like the Wes Anderson movie you chose. Um, nothing about it really screamed to me that I must see it, but like with Buffy the Vampire Slayer I had that same thought and then watched the TV show and absolutely fell in love with it so
1: yeah and I didn't see Napoleon Dynamite when it was in the theater I did, I ended up not seeing it for several years after that but people just kept saying like you need to see it you need to see it you need to see it <laughs> so um ultimately eventually saw it
2: there you go all right my next movie was the one that I showed you recently Idiocracy.
1: Oh yeah, that's a great movie.
2: That is an amazing movie, uh, written and directed by Mike Judge. Um, it's about an army guy who uh takes part in an army experiment and accidentally falls asleep for over five hundred years to wake up to an America not unlike our own today. <laughs> Just everybody is stupid. Um and Really stupid uh the president you got president camacho five-time ultimate smackdown champion and former porn superstar um finds out that um his guy not sure that's the luke wilson character um is a smart guy because like one of the uh, when he first came he didn't have a tattoo on his arm and then uh he got his tattoo got put in jail um and then he had to do an iq test and like what was that first one If the first two buckets have this amount of water in it and the other three buckets have this amount of water in it, how many buckets do you have? (laughs) You know, little things and just a lot... I mean, but
1: so then he's declared the smartest man in the world. In
2: the world, yeah. When in our time, he was just an average guy, um, at the most average. That's why he was picked for the experiment. Uh, Maya Rudolph is in it. Um, she plays a prostitute that uh, took part in the army experiment as well um, because she wanted to give some money for her uh, pimp upgrade, <laughs> double dose of pimping. <laughs> Pimpin' Power. Just the catchphrases in the movie alone. You know, you're watching the Masturbation Network, keeping America baiting for over 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, Brondo. It's what plants crave.
1: <laughs> right, they do away with water and everyone drinks some kind of sports drink.
2: Yeah, what? You want to drink out of the toilet? <laughs>
1: <laughs> toilet water?
2: Welcome to Costco. I love you. <laughs> Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Um, just everything about that movie, it's just... Uh, to me, it's one of Mike Judge's best work, um, and it showcases his uh, just how good of a writer he is. Um, being able to take m- dumb material and, and just pace it in the correct way. Um, Dax Shepard as, as um, not sure's uh, attorney. Uh, it's amazing. Go away, Peyton! <laughs> you <know? laughs> Just, you got if you haven't seen this movie, you gotta see yeah, it. I yeah, I agree.
1: I couldn't, when I watched, when we watched it not long ago, I couldn't believe that I hadn't seen it before.
2: Yeah, and the president giving his address in the House of Representatives. <laughs> 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 Just... And now I love too when the president gave a speech he was like shit shit things is fucked up but then you see it's on a teleprompter shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you got to watch it you got to watch it yeah, what what's you your last movie it.
1: okay my last movie is Ray the biopic of Ray Charles great movie yes wonderful movie mm-hmm. and um Uh, Jamie Foxx stars as Ray Charles and does his own singing in the film and does a really great job, I think, of of representing Ray Charles. And what I really like about biographical movies, particularly about people who were older when I was younger, Mm -hmm. right, who were sort of already legends by the time I knew who they were, is that it shows you sides of them that you would never imagine existed like i always thought of ray charles as the sweet old man who sang georgia um and <laughs> <laughs> you know it turns out there was drug abuse in his past and lots of infidelities and you know he's pretty wild and you'd never know that if you if you just were aware of his music yeah um, so it's a really great movie
2: um yeah I mean I you know as far as Jamie Fox um if you get the DVD they actually have uh, some behind the scenes footage of Ray Charles teaching him how to play the guitar and sing like him oh, so wow. if you're gonna have a teacher damn um the movie, what the movie did is made me feel sad. Sad because I didn't know about Ray Charles's legacy. Honestly, all I knew, really knew him from was the Diet Coke commercials. Mm. And um, I, it wasn't he in one of the Naked Gun movies as a bus driver? Maybe. Something like that. But just, I just knew of him as that old singer whose music I didn't hear. And, and made me it made me sad, too, because I think it was, like, 95, Ray Charles actually came to Grand Rapids and did a concert for uh, the West Michigan Home for the Blind. Mm. And at the time, I was just like, I don't want to see the Diet Coke guy sing. And then watching the movie, it's just like, oh, I missed out. That was a, such a stupid and another Another concert I regret not seeing was when Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan did a tour together.
1: Oh, I saw that.
2: Oh. I, I so good I kicked myself so hard uh, missing that but I, I loved in the movie too like Hit the Road Jack they talked about that I didn't know the person I didn't know like he had an affair with one of the background singers and she was mad at him and when the singers were saying Hit the Road Jack there's a real like get the fuck out of here type of passion <laughs> that I never put into that song before and it, it really um, it made me really appreciate um, his uh, Ray Charles as a performer so yeah much more so than his shot in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> All right, my last choice, Casino Royale.
1: Never saw it.
2: What? Okay. Um. I'll
1: trade you a Princess Bride.
2: <sighs> That's going too far. Oh, there is no chance in hell I will ever see that movie.
1: It's so ridiculous. This.
2: Andre made me cry. Um. Anyway. <laughs>
1: You should be ashamed of yourself to say that. You were 11 years old. You were not a child.
2: I I was a child at heart.
1: (laughs) You're still a child at heart.
2: (laughs) What gave that away? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Casino Royale. That was uh, Daniel Craig's first outing as James Bond. Um, When they were putting the movie together, um, some fans got upset they didn't think daniel craig was right for the role because he didn't have black hair Mm. the fuck (laughs) um but the i I, the brilliant thing about the movie is i mean the movie is based on ian fleming's first book and um apart from the modern settings um it's really faithful uh to the book um eva green does um a wonderful performance gives a wonderful performance as vesper lind um and it it's just really faithful but the producers knew without the public reaction because this is a different type of bond than they've ever done before um, really faithful. I mean, the closest they got to this type of Bond was License to Kill, um, the last Timothy Dalton movie. Um, just the vicious, just the brutalness. Because if you read the Ian Fleming books, Bond is not cracking jokes every other page. You know, he's just, you know, he he loves his women in the books, just like he does in the movie. But a lot of it is just, you know, brutal action. And uh, that's what the movie is so great at. But uh, the producers did a great job of kind of Building Daniel Craig into that role So by the time you get the final The final scene where um, You see a car pull up to a big castle A guy gets out, a phone rings And then Mr. White, yes A gunshot, Mr. White goes down With a gunshot leg and then you see Daniel Craig walk up with a machine gun The name's Bond, James Bond The music hits and when I saw that I saw it on DVD, I saw it after it came out I was like yeah and I went and Watched that scene over again like 20 times It was great Nice. I loved it. So that was our top five movies from the year we were 30. Next week. Um, depending who we have on the show we will discuss top 5 movies uh, from the year we were 40 and then discuss uh, future plans because I kind of dig this segment Mm -hmm. Um, you know we can you know because what we're planning to do in the future is the top 5 favorite uh, TV shows from specific years Uh, you know then we can go through top 5 something else books whatever you know so pornographic films um, I don't know nope, if I'd want to go. So much. The '70s may have some interesting stuff. <laughs> um, you know, the '80s, not so much. Um, maybe. The, okay, anyway. <laughs> people are like, I don't want to know your porn habits. <laughs> my sister right now would be like ice picks in the ears. Like, no. Anyway, we have an album of the week. We sure do. It was your choice.
1: It was my choice. It was Shannon and the Clams' Onion.
2: All right. Why did you pick that up?
1: Um, it's one of my favorite albums for uh, this kind of weather. So if you're not in Portland, um, you don't know that it's been in the uh, high 60s, low 70s, sunshiny, clear blue skies, puffy clouds, um, beautiful weather for the last, feels like two weeks. And um, this is the kind of music that I like to listen to on days like this, nice. where, um, it's just happy, mostly just happy, upbeat, um, enjoyable music that you could imagine like laying around on the beach listening to.
2: How did you first discover them?
1: Actually, a friend of mine, um, named Justin introduced me to them. Nice. Yeah, So word of mouth, which <laughs> is the best way to hear about new bands.
2: Yeah, I mean, because Spotify can, or any other music service can only take you so far. I mean, I find myself, you know, I, I do tend, even with exploring, I'm always hesitant on doing that because I don't want to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm also stubborn with my music choices, so I only have my usual playlist of stuff that I listen to. But
1: And then the good news is I created a, a station based on Shannon and the Clams and discovered some more similar sort of garagey surfy bands um that that were really great as well
2: nice yeah all right so as we usually do we're going to go through the album track by track give our opinions up or down um the disclaimer we give um, because we're going to promote this on social media and if the band themselves were to hear this whether we like something or we don't, something we're simply just giving our opinion. We encourage you, the listener, to check this album out, especially uh, for bands like this. You know, if we we're talking about Black Sabbath, they, you know, they don't need the attention. Um, but, you know, band like this, especially with today's climate, you want to help out uh, your fellow artists as much as you can. So definitely buy this song. Um, but track one.
1: So track one is called Boy and it is emblematic of the indie garage punk. Um, sound of the band. I think it's got a sort of reminiscent of Buddy Holly surf sound um, going on. Like if you took Buddy Holly and crossed Buddy Holly with the Beach Boys, maybe you'd end up with something that feels a little bit like this song. Um, and it's a great uh, story song about abusive parents, I, I think, and sort of learning how to deal with the neglect of your parents or the disappointment of your parents and um had some great harmonies so shannon shaw plays the bass and sings and cody blanchard plays guitar and sings and they have they both have really um powerful voices and they have sort of similar character to them and and they harmonize on this song and it sounds really great sounds they sound great together
2: yeah the notes i had i loved uh, the surfy guitar opening um, the vocals for certain parts um didn't wasn't really my cup of tea, but to your point, uh, the harmonies, especially during, uh, the chorus, were were spot on, really, really good. I mean, that's one thing that, one note I'm gonna have throughout the entire album. I mean, the harmonies were just kick ass, amazing. Um, to me, it sounded kind of in. There's no wrong answer with this. To me, it kind of sounded like a it was inspired by like uh the phil specter wall of sound type of deal because there's a lot of echoey uh, echoey echoeyness to it so um definitely is a retro song but um with a modern feel as well which which i liked Mm
1: -hmm. loved it Mm -hmm. second track it's gonna go away it's gonna go away is the name of the song and i wrote girl group funk I felt like the song had a good funky feel to it um, but it felt like your sort of 60's girl group kind of song right. uh, it's about the end of a relationship and you, you've had a good time with someone but then now that time's over it's sort of the idea of sometimes you meet somebody and um, you, you want to be with them and, and hang out with them but you can tell from the very beginning that's not a long term relationship yeah. sort of one of those relationships that's going to have it's time in your life um, so, I thought the, the lyrics were really great, and um, I, I like the song.
2: Uh, the notes I had, the drum opening, um, I, I don't know if they intentionally took it, but it was the same type of drum opening that David Bowie used for Boys Keep Swinging. Mm. Um, overall, this track wasn't my favorite. Um, the vocals just... Kind of took me out of it. Um, I noted that they were, for me, uneven, and it didn't seem to fit the mood of the music. If if that mm. makes sense, mm-hmm. um, I did love the trippy keyboard solo. That was good.
1: Nice. Well, the next song, "Backstreets," is actually my favorite song on the album. Um, I just think that the it's very singable, singalongable mm-hmm. kind of song. Uh, it's got a great story as well, um, and a great chorus great um so the story is sort of this idea of uh, uh sort of angel inside you kind of um and running away so it's almost like the outsiders kind of story
2: and i'm gonna get you with my switchblade t- 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 <laughs> right exactly <laughs> Um, me, I noted it, it had a real Del Shannon type of feel because oh. because to me, when I heard it, it I, I thought of you know, my little runaway, mm-hmm. run, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't my favorite track, but again, um, but I, I, I have to acknowledge the musicians on you know, the musicians here because uh, they, they, they really it, everything melded together just perfectly, and um, you know, it's. It's always tough saying I don't like something just because I know how long it takes to create something and I you know I want to make it clear again that just because it's not my favorite does not mean it's bad I'm not saying that at all but just uh, for my musical taste it didn't hit but don't mean don't take that to mean that i think it's a bad song they did a they did a great job with um the feel i mean the fact that you know it, th- that i had that retro feel making me r- reminding me of Del shannon while still being very much a modern song i mean speaks a lot to what they did
1: yeah
2: mm-hmm. all right what's the next track
1: next track is if you could know uh, also really, this is probably my second favorite song on the album. Um, it's a great song about the way it feels when you meet someone even before you know if it's going to go anywhere. Like you've just met someone and you feel attracted to them and it can be so exciting to be attracted to someone because we're not attracted to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And So we can go for long periods where nobody seems interesting and then all of a sudden there's somebody who really seems interesting um, and, and it sort of captures that moment of like it feels so good to be alive because I have this like possibility of um, love, love, of, or at least lust, or something. Yeah. Something.
2: Um, uh, me. I loved the frantic energy. It it was almost as frantic as how you described it. You know, if that makes sense, just because, yeah, to the subject matter of 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 the song, yeah, it it perfectly captured that feeling of when when you first meet somebody and you're just like all giddy and like ee, type of, type of deal, and you know, d- and like writing like love sonnets on. Oh my God, they're so super cool, and you know, send them pictures and send an emoji and like. A oh my God,
1: I just got a text message from them. Oh
2: <laughs> yeah, this but,
1: stuff that all becomes very. Blase
2: eventually. Uh, yeah, if, if people do it wrong. Um, it's short and sweet, and I would say that this is one I would really love to hear live. Oh,
1: uh-huh. Because
2: I think live, it would be a lot more frantic, and I think people, I think the audience, I would love to see how an audience would react to this, just because of the franticness.
1: They have in the past, and they do, I think, do regularly play in Portland, because they're from Oakland. Hmm. Um, And I've heard that they're really amazing live. Amazing to see live.
2: And there you go. If uh, they're coming to Portland, hey, hey, hey.
1: Let's go see them.
2: Well, if they hear the show and they like what we have to say, a press pass would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's the next track?
1: Um, The next track is I Never Wanted Love. Um, and this was, a, you know, a fun, upbeat song. I, it was somewhat forgettable, I, I thought, um, even though it had some fun percussion and some fun instrumentation. I, you know, there's, the organ work was really great in the song. Um, and you could pick up a triangle every once in a while. And um, I like fun percussion. I like, the, I like the way they use a lot of different um, instruments.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote, I, I loved the retro poppy feel. I love the background vocals especially. Um, whatever the instrument they used for the solo was inspired. I mean, I didn't know if it was like a guitar or keyboards or, or whatever, but I, I really loved that. And the mood this put me in made me think that this would be perfect in a dance scene in a surf movie.
1: Oh,
2: uh-huh. you know, just kind of like uh, the old uh, Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon type of deal, and just you know, kids in bikinis and you know, <laughs> swimwear <laughs> dancing around. I, I, I dug it.
1: Nice. Um, the next song is "Onion," the um, title song, title track, mm-hmm. and I think this song has a great surf vibe, great guitar solo. And uh, I really like what she's talking about in the lyrics. You know, she's talking about um, her doctor said I'm an onion, which to me is sort of when you think about mental health in particular, this idea that we're all these multi-layered uh, beings and you've got to get, like, if you get through one layer, that doesn't mean that you're finished. You've got a whole other layer that you've got to deal with. Um, and so the song seems to be about, like, maybe a little bit of, not wanting to do that or getting, uh, tired of having to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but which I, I think was a, a cool take on the, on the subject matter.
0: Nice.
2: Um, me, I, I noted how it, how it speaks to their musicianship, how they were effortlessly able to go between different musical styles for each song because mm. i mean they, they're definitely knee deep in the retro but not one type of retro because uh you know the feeling i got here was like early 60s british invasion pop mm. you know you can imagine like jerry and a pacemaker singing this um the background vocals were great an amazing guitar solo i love the guitar solo on this song if it, i i would have to say this is probably one of my favorite tracks on the album
1: yeah i thought you would like the guitar solo
2: mm-hmm Why did you think I would like it?
1: Uh, Because it was a great guitar solo, and I know that you're always, that you love a great guitar solo. Okay. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, he's going to like this one.
2: You're simple to read, Tim. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we've talked about a lot of albums much more in depth than most people ever talk about albums. Mm -hmm. So I do know a lot about your musical taste at this point, I think.
2: Yep. Yeah. Loud, loud, and loud. No. (laughs) (laughs) With the occasional love song. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, occasional love song. So the next track is Did You Love Me? Which is um, a slower track, uh, kind of a breakup song, almost a ballad, but not really maybe as close to ballad as they get. Um, And sort of questioning whether there was ever love in their relationship. And I think it showcases um, Shannon's voice exquisitely, sort of oh. great use of the organ as well. So, really, some standout. I mean, her voice is just amazing, and the way that um, she she sings this song is just really transcendent.
2: Yeah, th- that's one thing I noted as well. I mean, it's really raw and emotional, which um, with the lyrics of the song was really fitting. Um, I, this song. Uh, I, I thought of Crimson and Clover. Mm. You know, I, I really got that type of vibe, and I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I mean, I, I really, it really uh, kind of reminded me of that. And just, uh, you know, nothing wrong with a slow dance number. Just, you know, one of those, uh, you know, a lot. I mean, because if you think about it, a lot of love songs that people typically you know, are dancing to at proms and whatnot kind of are sad. If you th- if you really examine the lyrics and whatnot, and I, I, I you know I gotta say I, I, this is another track I really loved, and especially Shannon's vocals. I mean, I to, uh, uh, what's the name of the other guy who sang?
1: Uh, Cody Blanchard.
2: I do gotta say, and this is not a knock against him. Please don't take it as that. I do prefer Shannon's vocals better because I feel she was able to bring more emotion into her lyrics um cody um was great but a lot of his delivery was the same if that makes sense mm. um you know and it's kind of rough seeing that for a guy who likes acdc like myself but i for me the the vocalists i tend to prefer are ones that do have a lot more um range and can bring some emotion to it even if it's more of a simple type song um and so her her delivery was great agreed all right next song
1: Um, Love Strike. so Baby Love Strike. No, not that song. (laughs) Um, This song I wrote, Psychedelic Romp About Being On Trial For Love. (laughs) Wonder why you like that, hey. (laughs) I really liked it. Um, Lots of changing rhythms, really upbeat song, great backing vocals. Um, It's getting to the point in the album, though, like to sit down and listen to it as an album. Um, where I sort of, I think I first be- felt like a little bit fatigued with the frenetic energy, sort of start feeling that way around this point that the album needing, needing a little bit of a break.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of noted that. I mean, th- this song was a little too slow-paced for my taste. Um, the Keyboards, uh, this is one instance where they didn't do it for me. They kind of sounded like uh, a circus organ. Um, and the vocals were a little too echoey, uh for my taste because a lot of times especially for the types of music I like um, you know, I don't always Comprehend what the the lyrics actually are and it doesn't help when there's a lot of uh echoes on it But to your point, I was kind of feeling that as well in terms of the fatigue part, which it's tough because I also know that, you know, based on the songs that I did like, if I saw them live, I would absolutely love it. So it's, it's, um, if, if they do listen to this, it's not a knock whatsoever. Just my personal opinion, Aubrey's personal opinion. Um, and it's not saying it's bad, bad per se. It's just pacing on a record is tough, even even for the most successful of bands. You know, being able to find the right type of songs to fit next to each other. It's not just, you know, it's not just, you know, the first one recorded is the first track and so on. you got to make it feel, you got to have a nice, you know, ebbs and flows throughout the entire album. And um, if you're playing the same type of music, that can get really hard. Yeah. So...
1: Yeah, totally. All right. Well, the next song is I Leave Again. Um, and this song is, I, I think, Cody sings this one. And it almost reminded me of sort of a um, on-the-road, a kind of Jack Kerouacke kind of story. Like, I've, I'm always, always leaving, uh, always on the road, can't form relationships, really. Uh, it had some fun bo- backing vocals. And... Uh, I thought a great keyboard opening.
2: I did like the keyboards in the song. That's, I had that uh, in my notes. Uh, the vocals were a little too muddy for my taste. Um, just kind of hard to understand just how they mixed them, um, in my opinion. I loved the galloping pace. Hmm. You know, just kind of, brum, brum, brum. It, 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 it you know, surf music at its best. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, just it, it, nice tempo throughout. So even with my, crit, you know, critiques that I offered, um, it's a good song.
1: Yeah. Uh, the next song is Tryin', which is a slower song, and I think also Cody. And I was re- definitely ready for a little bit of a slower song at this point in mm-hmm. the album. And, um, I, you know, I liked it. It, it was almost like a rockabilly kind
2: of song to me uh for me this is a little slower pace that just didn't hit for me um, the vocals seemed out of place for the type of mood they were trying to evoke which um if because with cody and shannon um as you've noted their their vocals are sometimes indistinguishable so i you know i didn't know who was necessarily singing this which you know speaks volumes to uh their work but it just it didn't have the emotion uh for me to uh, uh to really enjoy it um the, the vocals if anything too were just a little too intense for what they were trying to convey mm. um if that makes sense mm-hmm. i did love the um it, it, the guitar solo because it reminded me of like eric clapton in the yardbirds era mm. you know just that that type of a solo um and the I, I do have to say that the vocals that closed the song just sounded messy, mm. just eh. mm. you know. So sorry, <laughs> you know. All right, what's the next track?
1: Next track is "Tell Me When You Leave," and um, this one I really liked. It had some Glockenspiel action happening, which is a uh, type of xylophone type type of uh, Glockenspiel
2: bitches. Yeah, <laughs>
1: love a little Glockenspiel, and, and I thought this one was was sort of buddy Holly-ish again um, <laughs> on the vocals and I just loved the lyric um, essentially saying I'd find a way to hold your hand even if every finger was broken so <laughs> sweet like even if all my fingers were broken I would hold your hand
2: Aww. um my notes I I put buddy Holly lives oh nice it did it did uh, really evoke uh, buddy Holly I love the harmonies i I could picture this in like a biker movie in the 50s that that's kind of like romeo and juliet set in a biker gang
0: Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and
2: now somebody has to make that movie but um the guitars were exceptional i love the guitars and and once again the 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 amazing retro yet modern feel because it's not um what i mean by that is you know Any old bar band can play an old Buddy Holly song, but it takes a talented musician to take that old sound and modernize it while still making it sound retro. And they did a great job.
1: Nice. Next track is Strange Wind. So this one had a little bit different feeling. I felt like it almost reminded me of The Birds, I think. Um, Sort of almost 60s psychedelia... Folk rock type, jangly guitar-y kind of folk rock. Twelve kind of thing. string Rickenbacker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really loved the whistling at the end. It kind of almost felt like a western movie at the end with the whistling.
2: Yeah, I, I noted that too. I noted that the whistling solo was inspired. Um, the money vocals that started things off—it was just eh, it didn't get me in the right mood to really enjoy it, but. If anything this is one of the tracks that i I don't think they were able to to my liking were able to escape sound sounding like they were imitating a retro sound instead of doing their own sound uh that was retro if that makes sense Mm. um they were imitating not creating and that um just for me that for me that's why it didn't quite hit so
1: all right last track of the album
2: last track
1: Don't Close Your Eyes, which is a sort of Shannon, uh, vocal extravaganza, um, almost felt like a torch song, uh, here at the end of the album to close things out. And, um, you know, I thought it was a good ending. I thought it was a good choice for a last song. Um, I was tired at this point, right? So (laughs) I, I was ready for a little, uh little torch song action
2: yeah um for me when i heard it uh the opening of the song reminded me of that roy orbison song crying over you oh
1: uh-huh. the
2: crying <laughs> over you type of deal uh the keyboards retro but perfect it fit the mood of the song um, the background vocals once again were really really good um I'm not gonna say this was my favorite song on the album, but uh, to your point, yeah, it was one hell of an ending. I mean, they brought they definitely brought the passion here, Um, and if anything, the dreamy Mm -hmm.
0: close—that
2: that's how you end an album. Just if you're gonna end on a lower key, on on a a lower key note, um, you go out like this. It's similar to how um, what was that song from "Taken Number Satan," the last song that. On, on that album oh yeah
1: it's my favorite song on that album
2: i think yeah the um, uh, um i need it
1: yeah we you don't need it yeah or you you need it yeah I don't know it but we need we yeah i'm need gonna it.
2: find that album real quick but it's it's a similar type of uh similar type of uh album mm-hmm. close you know because again to my point if you're gonna close Uh, And I brought this up before, if you're going to close an album, um, it's got to be a, you need it is the name of, yeah. Um, But if you're going to close an album, it has to feel like a show close. Um, Whether it's, you know, going the who route, um, like that won't get fooled again, something grand and majestic, or like what uh, Chomo and the Possum Posse and um, what they did here, just kind of on a a lower note, like just kind of mellowing and fading away. Mm -hmm. It was good.
1: Excellent. Well, overall, what would you think of the album?
2: I dug it. Um, I, to your point, to the fatigue, I did experience some of that as well. But I can also see where if they have a live album, then, I, you know, I think we might get a lot more of the passion because I think a lot of these songs are, are, were, are probably best heard in a live Life. atmosphere with, with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a Beatles, a late era Beatles, Beatles album, um, you know, like Sgt. Pepper, you know, great album, of course. But, you know, that was meant for just, you know, putting the ear, ear, earphones on and listening. Um, You know this was meant to Play to a crowd And without having that crowd there um, With the similar Type of sound that they had Throughout um, just the ebbs and Flows it was yeah I mean it did get kind of You do I did get kind of Fatigued but don't take That as a negative don't take that as an Insult this is a great band Support them check them out and if they do Come to your town check them out live
1: Absolutely. Check them out live if you if you can. And we'll have to put them on our list of people we'd like to see.
2: Boom. Boom. All right. That's it.
1: That's well, the end of the episode.
2: Another episode on the books. Well, there you go. Yeah. Excited to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> So we will be back next week. Um, you know, if, if Kim is up for it, of course, uh she she will be with us. If not, then it may just be me and Phil. It may be Aubrey back again, who knows? Um, but we'll one way or another, we will be we will be back.
1: Awesome. All it's right. It's been a pleasure.
2: As always. All right. And with that, please, um I was gonna say something cool and just have it segue into what I usually try and end the episode with, but I'll just say and remember It's such a
0: good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up, ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling, the feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new. And I'll have more ideas for you. And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will, too. You always make each day such a special day. You know how, by just your being you. Only one person in the whole world like you. That's you yourself. I'll be back next time. Bye-bye.
1: Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.